Well, hello and welcome to another session of The War Pod. Now, we're doing something a little bit different today. Uh, the Remote Warfare Programme is obviously based at the Oxford Research Group, an independent peace and security organisation. And there are three programmes uh, at the organisation, the Remote Warfare Programme, uh, the Sustainable Security Programme and the Strategic Peace Building Programme. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by a member of the Strategic Peace Building Programme today. And what, who are you? What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> um, hello, everyone. Uh, it's Marwa Babbat, and I am uh, currently leading uh, ORG's Strategic Peace Building Program, and uh, mainly focusing on uh, our work in, in Yemen. Absolutely, and I should have said I don't think I did. Uh, my name's Liam Walpole, and I'm the Policy Officer at the Remote Warfare Program. And the focus today is, of course, as Mar was already alluded to. Uh, is about the conflict in Yemen. And that's the focus of the strategic peace building... Well, one of the focuses, one of the projects of the Strategic Peace Building Programme. Um, it's a project funded by the FCO. That's correct, isn't it? Yes, yes, by, yes, the, yes by the Conflict Stability and Security Fund, uh, this cross-government fund that funds lots of different work for the FCO, the Ministry of Defence and DFID. Uh, and this one is led by the FCO. I've got that right. Good. (laughs) But we wanted to talk about it in the context of some recent, well, big news stories around the focus around Saudi Arabia. And then go on to talk about the challenges of kind of the UK, at least in the UK, us always focusing on the role of Saudi Arabia. So it'd be interesting to sort of get your take on what's happened over the last couple of weeks with the Court of Appeal ruling that uh, Saudi arms sales are unlawful. and the UK has had to suspend future uh, export licences, um, and we now know that the government's going to appeal. So I just, I just wondered, there has been quite a lot of focus over the last couple of years about arms sales being provided or sold by the UK to Saudi Arabia that might then go and be used in, in Yemen and, and the implications of, of the Saudis not using them in accordance with IHL. And I just wondered, what, what was your take on, what does this mean? The outcome of this case? Well, I guess from um, a UK perspective, especially for UK activists and those who are yeah. concerned about um, UK's uh, UK adherence to um, IHL mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to arms sales, I think it's a great victory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good thing that we are trying to monitor um, the role of um, Milit- um, arm producers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like the the UK and how the the arms are used yeah. uh, in Saudi and um, other places. However, how much is this relevant to Yemen is a different question. Yeah. So, what does it mean for Yemen? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean really anything. Okay. Because um, yes, good thing that uh, Saudis are not going to get uh-huh. more arms to bombard Yemenis, but our Saudis the only problem yeah. Yemen yeah. has. But we'll see what happens to the court case. They, they might yeah. be fine. They might, the UK government <laughs> might get away so, yeah. with it. But yeah. yeah. So I think, I think we need to ask ourselves questions beyond uh-huh. um, the case of yeah. know, stopping armament uh, to Saudis and how that relates to everything. To other contexts that we're tr- we've that has been used yeah, actually yeah. for campaigning for the case. So that's a really interesting point. I mean, something that um, well, the, the, the Saudi foreign minister um, Adel Al Jabir, I probably pronounced that terribly, um, but one of the things he was sort of saying is that you know this this doesn't necessarily necessarily say 
or reflect badly on the Saudis. It's not about any wrongdoing that's been done by them. That's what they're, they're arguing. And then it's it's for the UK to 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 decide. And I suppose um, the argument that he made as well is that stopping weapons to Saudi Arabia or the coalition in Yemen, it basically, his words, uh, play, is playing into the hands of the death to the America crowd, um, which is clearly the Saudis trying to, you know, deal with the politics of, of everything that's going on. And one, one of the things that we have tried to argue at, at the Remote Warfare Programme is that armed sales are a small part of the security relationship between the UK uh, and Saudi Arabia, and of course many other Western countries as well. The US provides much more arms than, than, than we do to Saudi Arabia. Um, and that we can't just focus on that as, as one thing, because it's, it's a much bigger issue and why we're in Yemen, etc., etc. Um, and I suppose we have had a conversation in the past when I've written uh, about you know if the UK wants to be global Britain, what if that means? Uh, as far as I understand it, one of the principles or one of the elements of global Britain is that the UK can act as a champion of the rules-based international order. Some of our listeners might say, well, what does that mean? What is the international rules-based order? Um, but that if you want to do that, uh, you have to be seen to be not white as, you know, whiter than white, but you have to have some credibility about your approach. And I know that when we had a conversation, when that article came out back in September, I think it was, 2018, one of the things that you were saying is that the problem is, kind of going back to the points that you made from, from the start, uh, that you focus far too much on Saudi Arabia, who is, of course, leading this coalition, but there's the UAE and other countries as well. Um, do, do you think that that is... Is that improving the way the UK journalism journalists, uh, politicians sort of look at this conflict? Do you feel, do you feel like they get that nuance? Because clearly you've given evidence to committees in Parliament before and do you feel like you've had to kind of stress the point that you know, it's not all about Saudi Arabia, it's much more complex than arms sales, Saudi Arabia, security relationship, and it's also about Yemen. <laughs> well, um, I think sadly, I have to say, that, um, that hasn't really improved that much. Okay. Uh, and big part of the problem is the focus on Saudi. And yeah. Like, we remember the Khashoggi incident, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> suddenly I was reading a report about um, the Washington Post's um, uh, the word Yemen appeared 300 more times yeah. in the Washington Post since the Khashoggi oh, really? um, uh, killing or murder. Mm-hmm. So how kind of international journalism uh, in the UK and elsewhere are focusing on Yemen from a Saudi-led coalition mm-hmm. um, lens is problematic because yeah. then we're overlooking the local context, yeah, yeah. the local actors, who's actually playing, but also we always say the Saudi-led coalition mm-hmm. and we remember we remember Saudi and forget about yeah. the coalition. Yeah. Um, then the conversation becomes Saudi aggression on Yemen mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what the Saudis are doing yeah. wrongly or rightly yeah. in Yemen, yeah. uh, depending on your position. Sure, sure. Um, so I think it is important to look at this. Uh, it is important to look at what the Saudis are doing, mm-hmm. what kind of IHL violations are yeah, being yeah. committed. However, is this kind of everything that is happening in yeah, Yemen. Yeah, yeah. Who else is committing IHL crimes in Yemen? Mm-hmm. 
why did the Saudi um, coalition started bombarding Yemen in the first place? Yeah, like, yeah. why did that mm-hmm. happen? Um, and then who who should be involved and what we should be mm-hmm. talking about is, yeah. is the important part yeah. of journalism. Yeah. I think cherry-picking fact is yeah, problematic. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I mean, and I think from, from our perspective, what hasn't been clear is, and there's been growing frustration with the government over this over the last couple of months when back in I think it was March there was uh, credible allegations in British newspapers that special forces or the boat special boat service uh, specifically was being deployed or had been deployed in Yemen and was engaging in gun battles in a combat role against Houthi rebels um, when clearly the UK government in the past has said it is not a party to the conflict and before we get on to sort of look at your your role as an analyst of, of, of that conflict and the work that you're doing around uh, the strategic peace building program I just wondered um, you know do you think it's an issue when it comes to the UK's uh, position at the UN as a pen holder on Yemen and it's at least ostensibly its leading role as um, an actor a key actor in sort of the reaching a political settlement in Yemen that those revelations undermine its role as a neutral broker or do you think that actually to those actors on the ground uh, the key actors involved um, do they just not see those issues and are we overblowing them um i think issues are seen by by local actors mm-hmm. and here it's important to mention that it is seen by both by, by the um internationally recognized government mm-hmm. of Yemen mm-hmm. and the Houthi sure. uh, rebels. Um, and here we're not saying that the the, um, the, the the UK's government support to Saudi is not necessarily immediately uh, transactional to the support mm-hmm. of Yemeni government, although that is the official statement of the government. Um, if you, the British government. The yeah. British yeah, government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You would hear uh, differently from how the Yemeni government mm-hmm feel about it sure. so there is it is uh-huh. a debatable issue <laughs> while the healthy stance is always that uh, yeah. america and the uk are bad the bad mm-hmm. guys who are mm-hmm. supplying arms to to the saudis and killing us yeah um, so it is very important to also understand like the different dynamics yeah, yeah, yeah. and relationships within within this that's really interesting well Ma, if i may i'd like to move on uh to looking at the role we talked about sort of the big international actors but the, the work that you do is with um, local actors, local voices on the ground, um, and you can talk about that in a bit more detail, but perhaps you could perhaps um, say why you feel like it's important that we're engaging with those local voices as well as sort of having the big high politics uh, in the background as well. Yeah, can I take a step back? Though, yeah, absolutely, of course that? you can. <laughs> cool. So I think, I think two points... Um, which I've already mentioned that we need to remember why the Saudi-led coalition started mm-hmm. uh, because there is a problematic issue of how current Yemen conflict is defined yeah. um, by international media and some mm-hmm. analysts. Um, and we see a lot of um, Saudi war on Yemen. Yeah. And we have to be clear that that is not the case, at least that is not the case from a local perspective. Mm-hmm. So, yes, Saudis are involved in, in the current conflict in Yemen, but the conflict started way before the Saudis got involved. Sure. Um, and it started uh, when 
I mean, we can go as much back as much as we want, but let's take <laughs> yes. it from yeah, yeah, yeah. when the Houthis took over the capital in uh, September mm-hmm. of 2014. Mm-hmm. So if we look at that and we look when the Saudis started intervening um, mm-hmm. upon the request of the Yemen's government in uh, March of 2015, there is a gap here yeah. Um, yeah. of armed local and civil mm-hmm. uh, conf- armed conflict and Houthis marching down yeah. uh, to the capital and to other places um, and committing atrocities yeah. all over. So we have to remember sure. that we have an actor that is committing as much violations mm-hmm. on the ground as um, other actors and that it is a Yemeni conflict. So if we are to say arms trade stopped to Saudi yeah. and Saudis have withdrawn from all of its like military mm-hmm. um, actions in Yemen, does that end the conflict in Yemen? The question, would, the answer would be, at least from my perspective, yeah. no. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't end it. Yeah. Simply because the local dynamics are still there, the root causes of the conflict is still there, and the conflict is actually initially between local actors and it's about power sharing, mm-hmm. and it's about who wants what yeah. um, out of, of um, the local context in Yemen. So I think that is just an important yeah, yeah. That's thing, good thing to know. <laughs> um, yeah, so moving from that, I think it's really important to listen to the local voices because they are the voices who will tell mm-hmm. you, actually, our main fight is not yeah. uh, with Saudis, it's with the Houthis. And sure. when you think when you speak about the Houthis, they talk about all of the other factions, yeah. um, like the Islah Party, who they um, have uh, declared, like, two days ago... Um, the the Houthi um, the judiciary system mm-hmm. have issued a death penalty against thirty six wow. activists or political prisoners. So we have to look into the mm-hmm. no- national and local politics and who is fighting mm-hmm. with what. Houthis have been very successful in mobilizing and utilizing the mm-hmm. lack of knowledge and understanding and sometimes the cherry picking of facts because it's easy to hate on Saudi as they commit so many yeah. violations at so many levels, mm-hmm. um, at least from the international pr- perspective. Yeah. Um, and you take that as a, as a media propaganda um, from a Houthi perspective and take it to the world as we are the vulnerable mm-hmm. um, kind of... A marginalized group who mm-hmm. have been attacked by the yeah. by the Saudis and the Saudis are killing the Yemeni people. While we forget also again that the Houthis mm-hmm. are only use, using that as a propaganda machine, yeah. as a as yeah. a media yeah. campaign on the ground, they are killing people. Mm-hmm. They are the the group that is responsible of the of almost all um, landmines planting in mm-hmm. Yemen, according to the uh, UN um, experts report. And that has killed about, uh, I think, uh, according to Aklid's uh, data, more than 5,500 5, people wow. in Yemen. So, sure. And not only that, it's going to cause problems in the future, right? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is just between 2015 until yeah. June yeah. 2019. Yeah. So... Um, if, yeah. if this is only landmines, we're not talking about shillings, yeah. we're not talking about tanks, yeah. we're not talking about snipers. So just yeah. remembering that those who are saying like, oh, we're vulnerable, we're being killed, mm-hmm. are the ones also who are planting um, yeah. military positions within uh, schools in Yemen, who are planting landmines, mm-hmm. who are also planting 
um, sea mines, which mm-hmm. is again yeah. a huge threat to international security, not only to yeah. the Yemenis. Um, so again, remembering all of mm-hmm. those and remembering that the local the local actors sure. are, will sure. always be there, and there are local grievances that um, the NDC was trying to address, uh, not in a most perfect. However, there was an attempt attempt to address issues and discussions and everyone was kind of signing up to that. um, Mm -hmm. And and who was that, sorry? So, the The National Dialogue Conference that took place in uh, between 2013 and 2014 Mm -hmm. post the Arab Spring uh, as a result of the Gulf and Cooperation the GCC Gulf and mm-hmm. oh. Gulf Cooperation Council. Gulf yeah. Cooperation Council. Yes, thank you. Teamwork. Yes. So um, the uh, initiative in, yeah. in Yemen, um, which is the transitional mm-hmm. initiative between, that moved um, power from uh, from our President Ali Abdullah Saleh to the current, current government. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that process took place. More than nine working groups that included about. 565 mm-hmm. um, Yemeni actors working on the ground together in Sana'a trying to discuss all of the yeah. issues um, and then everyone signed up signed to the uh, outcomes of the NDC but the Houthis so mm-hmm. what they've done is they've overtaken right. the process yeah. and yeah. that's why a lot of uh, analysts uh, kind of pre- talk about what Houthis did ad- or had done mm-hmm. as a coup uh, instead of just a militia sure, okay. who's trying to take it's power. Really, really important context there. Yes. That people, as you were sort of talking about earlier, that people will easily forget and get caught up very much in sort of the present issues around, especially the UK focus anyway, of arms sales in Saudi Arabia and forgetting about everything that happened. Exactly. Before. So there was it's a... so pa- integral to, yeah. to today, isn't it? Yeah. So there is there was a power uh, kind of sharing agreement issues um, that has been try- discussed, uh, that's being discussed at the NDC. Uh, there was a, a draft of a new constitution mm-hmm. that was about to be announced uh, before they kidnapped the person who was going to announce it. All of these processes happened. Um, so Houthi's um, issue uh, on power sharing mm-hmm. and what kind of resources they get and all yep. of that is part of a political dialogue that they they decided to kind of override yep. and overtake and move from a kind of a very soft and political mm-hmm. transition into an into an armed conflict and that is quite sad especially if we reflect into the fact that Yemen had more Yemen has more than 60 million armed pieces within the civilians wow. population however during the 2011 um protest and uprising mm-hmm. none of the protesters used this it, so it was a very mm-hmm. um, um peaceful revolution and we tend to forget about that when yeah. we talk yeah. about the conflict now so yemenis did not choose conflict yeah houthis yeah. imposed that conflict on everyone wow mm. that's very very useful now, if I can take us forward to sort of now, uh, yeah. you have been working on um, with the Strategic Peace Building Programme at the Oxford Research Group for, what, over a year now? Yes. It? Yes. Uh, and focusing on, as we talked about earlier, the a project in Yemen. So what are you doing in Yemen and what, what is the Strategic Peace Building Programme all about? 
Well, we're, what we're trying to do in Yemen is uh, we work in two specific governorates, um, governorates under the uh, control of the um, internationally recognized government of Yemen mm-hmm. in Hadramaut and Madib. Uh, these governorates are the oil-rich governorates mm-hmm. in, in Yemen, but also they have uh, some form of um, local authority sure. and structure that still exists, so they are functioning. Sure. Um, and also they have uh, both political and tribal mm-hmm. um, kind of structures that are st- still present and, again, also okay. functioning, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is the main reason of why we chose to work there. Can I just um, interrupt you a minute? Yes. Can you just, because our listeners might not necessarily understand. Yeah. Uh, but there's only a small part of Yemen that is being directly uh, affected by the conflict, where there is fighting ongoing. Is that correct? And correct. you know, quite large areas of the country are still sort of able to function, and as you say, sort of local governments are in place, right? Right. Yeah. Correct. Right. So we are you. We are we're working in the the most stable yeah. within the stable right. areas yeah. in, 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 in Yemen. Context. Yeah, so um, so these two governments are quite key because uh, also Hadramaut is almost thirty six percent of Yemen's land. Right. Wow. Um, okay. And it's it also is currently the only operating land border between Yemen and Saudi Arabia. Right. So uh, what yeah the Wadiya crossing is the only um, the only crossing mm-hmm. open both for commercial and civilian movement um, between Yemen and and, and Saudi. Um, and Marib is kind of the um, government where it's hosting a lot of kind of political IDPs from mm-hmm. Yemen. So those, the IDPs for our listeners who may not know. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm using a lot of <laughs> That's okay. And um, so internally displaced persons. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, and it's usually used for a lot of vulnerable people. Yeah. But here it's sometimes also those who are politically vulnerable who are uh-huh. not able to kind of escape to other countries but um, yeah. move within the country for for their own safety um so um yeah marib is is hosting a lot of those who had to flee sana mm-hmm. uh, post houthi takeover um and um especially um northern northern mm-hmm. political elites who haven't been able to flee outside the country um so we work with those local actors in um, in uh, coordination and cooperation with a local partner, the mm-hmm. Sana'a Center for Strategic Studies, um, and with that uh, we used uh, uh, ORG's um, mm-hmm. methodology, uh, the strategic uh, collective strategic thinking methodology, which kind of helps um, group who have internal differences mm-hmm. to overcome these differences and think for the kind of the common interests yeah. of the collective group yeah so uh liam and i have a conflict between mm-hmm. us we both want a promotion but we still want both want org to function so we have <laughs> our jobs yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know um so we have an interest in maintaining the mm-hmm. the, the nature of the organization sure, but then sure. the competition is about who gets yes. the promotion so similarly for the political groups <laughs> um it's about 
Hadramaut as an identity group and as a governorate has its own demands, its mm-hmm. own asks from the peace process, but also beyond the peace process once we have a peace agreement, similarly for Marib. So how can yeah. these actors on the ground coming from um, both tribal conflict uh, and mm-hmm. internal tribal conflict, internal kind of competing political interests, um, and also the civil society actor who are not usually brought up yeah. to these conversations, yeah. um, how they can think together, how they can think collectively about uh, kind of how they can map mm-hmm. uh, who are their allies, how yeah. they can work with them, mm-hmm. how can they think towards what they want from a peace agreement and how they can amplify the yeah. voice, the local yeah. voices of their groups. And so what we do is we provide them a safe space um, and that safe space takes place in Amman, Jordan. So you need to take the mm-hmm. actors outside yeah. the kind of conflict zone, but yeah. also give them kind of a bit of liberty away sure. from all of the kind of tribal ties yes. and, and, the, and, pressures and, and the pressures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in that, we kind of facilitate these conversations and we help them go through the methodology mm-hmm. and the questions of the methodology um, and they work through it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the main successes for our groups is that we, we've managed to uh, be one of the very few groups that had a one-to-one contact with the uh, UN Special mm-hmm. Envoy just before the Stockholm Agreement. Yeah. So the, the, local, uh, the local voices were actually kind of hurt to a certain mm-hmm. extent and they raised their concerns and shared how they think about the inclusion process, how they'd like to see kind of what they'd like to see from yeah. the special envoy and his team um, in, 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 the, in the near future um, at the time. Fantastic. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because um, I don't know if you wanted to cover any other, other ground there, but I think from the, the, from the remote warfare program's perspective, something that we have been looking at is sort of British military contributions to building partner capacities, whether that was in, for example, Syria... Uh, in Iraq or across the continent of Africa. So we're out in Mali and, and Kenya back in September 2018 looking at British contributions there. Uh, so in Kenya, the, um, the the British effort to train Kenyans who are contributing towards the Amazon mission in, in Somalia. And one of the, the, I suppose, the findings from, from that research was that often we're focusing too much on just training troops with this notion that by training them you're sort of able to uh, flick a switch and defence sector reform is done, they're going to be a better military actor, more capable. But the issue is broader than that because you might be in a country where the population does not um, uh, does, does not feel like the, the government is the, the, the legitimate government, um, that the, the defence actor, that military of that country isn't a particularly good actor when it comes to ensuring the defence of its own population, let alone trying to defend another country like like Somalia. Um, And that what we need, actually, is a broader sort of um, peace-building approach to security sector reform. Because as much as, you know, governance issues and corruption in the government is a challenge and it's a political issue, so too is you know, corruption within a defence uh, sector within a country as well, and that you need to make sure that the, the local populations are a part of that process as well. Um, and I just wonder whether you felt like there was definitely space for 
perhaps, or what your views on security sector uh, reform efforts are from countries like, like the UK and whether you think there is definitely sort of a, a space to move towards that broad... Because, you know, we talk about it a lot, you know, the stabilisation unit in the UK government, DFID, uh, we want a whole of government approach, we need to bring all sort of levers of government together to be able to uh, create um, and build stability overseas. It's part of the UK's defence engagement strategies and, and many others. You know, the aspirations are, are often correct. Uh, are very admirable and commendable, but we're not necessarily delivering on the ground and we're throwing sort of bit, bits of resources here and there and not really having, delivering this this vision of a, a whole-of-government approach. And what's your your take on that? Um, yeah, I guess there That's is... a lot to take there, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I guess there's also another category where you, yeah. you don't actually have a kind of a unified front of yeah. a defence ministry mm-hmm. yeah, which is the Yemen's yeah. problem at the yeah, moment yeah, yeah. because yes we have a defense minister and we have you know mm-hmm. some some you know military that is still part of that but also we have a number of new new armed actors on yeah. the ground so how do we do deal with this and what does that mean for the security sector um in in those kind mm-hmm. of stable spaces in, in in Yemen so i think there is room but there is also room for new ones thinking mm, mm. Uh, how we can kind of get out of the books of this is how a society is done yeah, or yeah, yeah, this yeah. is how the security, security sector, sector reform, reform right? and yeah, governance yeah, is done yeah. so this is how we're going to do yeah, yeah, it yeah, yeah, by yeah. the book yeah, yeah. by the book doesn't really work in contexts like mm-hmm. Yemen and in, in fragmented con- mm-hmm. contexts in general. So I think to me one of the key things that... Um, we can do successfully is work with the local actors, yeah. understand yeah. who are the key and integral uh-huh. security personnel yeah. within the yeah. area, and also think about who is missing from this mm-hmm. structure, sure. and then try and work with the local actors um, on that. Mm-hmm. And I think there is as much thinking to be done with those on the ground yeah. Uh, as much as you need to think about the structures outside of the ground. So I think the consultations mm-hmm. and the perspective yes. of trying to understand, because here the tribal dynamics gets part of, of mm-hmm. the entire security sector reform process, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if, if you're excluding any actor, it, it is seen as, as if you are supporting one side, you're aligning sure. with one yeah. side, and that is not necessarily the position. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're coming from a good faith of we want a better system for yeah. the country, yeah. then you have to acknowledge what it, the kind of the do no harm approach, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we do good without doing any yeah. harm? Yeah. How do we integrate with the different actors? So taking the tribal dynamics into account, taking the... Um, current security actors and their the perceptions of the locals on these mm-hmm. functions is very uh, critical uh, and key. Um, we we're from the conversation we've been having with with our with our um, local actors. You hear a lot of conversations that you wouldn't get out of a research piece mm-hmm. if you didn't have an open yeah. space, yeah. right? Like yeah. there is a one one a one to one conversation that doesn't usually get you what you want. Um, or like doesn't actually help you understand uh, what what is going on on the ground. So to me, the security there is room for security sector reform. I think there is room for also 
um, or like security sector governance uh, reform is quite like, <laughs> highly <laughs> unlikely at the moment. Um, in, in the Yemen context. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but there is room for security sector governance because there is existing structure yeah. that, are, yeah. that are functional. Um, and taking these existing functional structure and mm-hmm. understanding how they relate to the kind of overall context of the country and the local context of each governorate in Yemen Mm -hmm. is crucial. Um, And creating these kind of safe and stable or like what some call pockets of stability Mm -hmm. uh, in, in, uh, in the different areas of Yemen is really important because what we want is also to mitigate the, the deterioration of the security Mm -hmm. situation across the country. So the room is there but the thinking should be nuanced, um, and the taking the localized approach is really mm-hmm. as yeah. important yeah. as taking the top-down yeah. approach. Yeah. So you need to marry the top-down with the bottom-up yeah. approaches yeah. to be able to have a functional structure, to have a civil over, uh, oversight by the civil society, so yeah. they can kind of help understand and mitigate any IHL violation yeah. because that is highly likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a in a context like uh, Yemen, in a in a in a context of fragmentation, mm-hmm. but also uh, political, um, uh, what's the word? I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Uh, yeah, it, it might come yeah. to you. <laughs> yes, it might. It and, might come you know. to you. No, but I, th- I think you're absolutely right about <laughs> the the focus that uh, a country like the UK might have, and of course, some of these the countries that I mentioned, for example, you know, the Amazon mission. There are so many different layers. And so many different contributing countries. You've got the EU, you've got the US, you've got the the the, um, the GC, some GCC countries, uh, and obviously the UK as well. All trying to sort of input, but it might not necessarily be very um, joined up, or might not be appropriately engaging engaging with sort of civilian voices on the ground. And I think it's it's an interesting area and something that we've been as part of some of our research recently about UK contributions across. Uh, countries in Africa is that um, you know often when it's a low intensity or regarded as low intensity operation for the UK very light footprint it's not like the high intensity operations in Iraq and Syria of late where we're countering someone like ISIS uh, that that there won't necessarily be the emphasis on building those um, relationships between civilians and the military Um, and there's this sort of idea that well, it's it's sort of small fry. Uh, we don't need to sort of put those, um, not institutions, but those relationships in place where actually it's it could be really important and integral for the success of building stability in, in that particular area if we do want to d- deliver on some of the things that UK says it wants to deliver on. Um, that it, it needs to take that step forward and link up that political effort with the sort of the military effort because they are so interrelated you can't just have sort of military um uh, effect it's not it, you know you need to have a political solution right you agree right. <laughs> i agree <laughs> i agree and i think yeah the word i was looking for is polarization there you go. <laughs> I said it so come i think to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so i think uh, it, i'm saying it because it's still re- yeah. relevant to what you're saying because we have also a very polarized context and mm-hmm. Um, from both political actors but also tribal actors and we have to remember the war economy and what it brings so these are all interrelated and interlinked Mm -hmm. issues Um, security is highly 
kind of interlinked with eco- with the economy, mm-hmm. um, especially in the context of Yemen, where you have a lot of young um, men going into the joining one of the armed actors, mm-hmm. uh, just because that is the only source of income making Absolutely. at the, at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also you have all of the um, kind of. Um, black markets that, yeah. that has been created and the kind of warlords mm-hmm, around mm-hmm. that and how to what extent these people also have relations to different actors be it yeah, the, politi- yeah. the political actors or the security yeah. and we have to remember that it's um, a lot of the internationals who visit Yemen know this uh, you would you would sit and and in a in a negotiation table and you'd find like the different factions fighting mm-hmm. and then at lunchtime you'll see them see them sitting together and having a laugh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. right yeah. because the cultural the cultural element mm-hmm. of things is totally different from yeah. the politics of it yeah. um, and that is not necessarily common mm-hmm. um, so Yemenis have that so we have to understand the politics and the and the and the culture behind yeah. also yeah. people's motivation and stance mm-hmm. um so i think yeah i don't know if i answered do, do you think do you think points. no 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 absolutely do, uh, do you think you know there's been a lot of talk when alistair burt was at the the foreign office the, the the minister the conservative minister who recently resigned well back in march over brexit one of the things that he was uh, he wasn't um it had sort of developing thinking around how we go into conflicts and how we sort of choose the key actors and how we try and build like a, a political settlement. And there was this study that came out, I think it was in June 2018, the Stabilisation Unit uh, study about, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's part. It's now sort of been integrated into the Stabilisation yeah, Unit's guidance. Um, that, you know, we, we look, if you look at somewhere like Afghanistan, we're now, well, I say we, you know, US... I suppose the UK as well sort of are trying to, with the Afghan government, have some sort of political settlement with the Taliban, which was probably, you know, completely unpalatable back in 2001, this idea that you would ever negotiate with, with the Taliban, but was probably fairly predictable that you'd have to get into that position because it is tribal, it's very complex. Uh, to be able to, you, you sort of need to establish, as you were describing, those pockets of stability to be able to retain even some sort of loose Afghan state. I mean, you know, at the moment it, it's looking like they're going to have to have some sort of agreement with the Taliban. And I wonder whether there's like a movement in thinking about how we approach different conflicts and how we identify particular adversaries because actually perhaps we are um, putting ourselves in a straitjacket mm-hmm. if we label someone as, a, as someone that we're never going to or a group as, as a group that we're never going to be able to negotiate with and do you feel like there's kind of an acceptance that we need to develop that that thinking about yeah. peace building I suppose yeah oh well in, in Yemen's case there isn't necessarily an, a faction that, mm. that anyone is refusing to, yeah. to have as part of the negotiation however there is the issue of exclusion when it comes to the mm-hmm. actual peace process and who is part of that yeah. peace process because all of the new um, factions and for example, the Southern Movement and their position, uh, the separatists in yeah. Yemen, and their position pre-2015 and their position currently is quite different and their power is different. And um, it was a kind of a civil, um, peaceful movement. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, a lot of the, the movement has arms as a, as a result of the, mm-hmm. of the current conflict. So they become, they yeah. also, be, they are becoming kind of, 
strongly involved in within the kind of security and mm-hmm. armed, armed, armed conflict. So how, how do we take those as an actor and how do we deal with them is, is, a, is an important question as, as a, the demands of the people is, is a rightful demand mm-hmm. and whether we agree or disagree with that. It is a, a different discussion, but whether they should be part of yeah. the table, that shouldn't be a question, right? But that is still kind of the dilemma mm-hmm. for a lot mm-hmm. of, of international actors and the UN, especially in Voy, and the mandate of how Yemen is, is being dealt with at the moment. So we don't have, in Yemen, there is no actor that has been kind of identified as a Yes, uh, because yeah. they are not a terrorist. Yeah, none yeah, of yeah. none of yeah, those yeah. are described as, yes. as a terrorist group, which I th- I think is the main like the yes. baseline for why and um, sure, sure. international governments won't yeah. agree to yeah, yeah. to to have a conversation with. So it's it's quite yes. different. Yes. But I think yes, there needs to be a kind of an open ear mm-hmm. to listen to all of those local actors and see how we can um, have even a parallel yeah. process that takes the, the, the grievances of those mm-hmm. actors and the security concerns that yeah. comes with it. Because sure. it's all about not only power sharing, but yeah. the, the kind of feel, the threats, the security threats, which is part mm-hmm. of the Saudi uh, argument around we need to protect our borders, yeah. which is a valid Absolutely. argument. Yeah, yeah. And um, have been, you know, they've been attacked, haven't they, by yeah. the on their, yeah. so on I think, their home turf. And so. Saudis will always be the neighbors of Yemen. Yeah. That's not going to change. <laughs> So how do we how do we take that into consideration, yeah. and how do we um, take a position that is helpful to all actors? But also, Yemen is sitting in a very strategic um, location sure. um, that is that doesn't only affect Yemenis and no. Saudis; it, it also affects the international trade, uh, the international mm-hmm. naval um, trade, yeah. um, and oil pipelines, so many other things, and the links with the Horn of Africa and how yeah. close we are to Somalia, Somalia, Djibouti, and Ethiopia, and all of mm-hmm. that. Um, so there are higher security Absolutely. concerns and worrisomes to, to yeah. both local actors and international actors when it comes to Yemen that we need to think of yeah. beyond Saudis bombarding yeah, yeah, yeah. their local... Yeah, and, con- and considerations that, you know, in the, from the UK context, that are above just arms sales because you could say well actually the contribution of arms sales uh, to the, the HMT Her Majesty's Treasury is, is quite small really but you know the UK government would argue well it's about you know strategic interests in, in the Gulf and, and everywhere else so yeah I think it's really important to raise that Definitely. that point but Mara um, it, I was going to end there but you want to say last word yeah, yeah sorry word. it's yeah, just also it's, I guess from kind of a, for the arm trade campaigners we have to they have to remember that this all is happening with the, you know, targeting support in the operation rooms mm. um, of the, from the, the UK government and from the US government. And let's imagine if that didn't mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I think it's important to hold... The, Although it's, it's not quite clear exactly what the UK is uh, providing in terms of support. Allegedly. They've never made it clear. Yeah, so allegedly, if, the, if that exists yes. and the situation yes. and the death toll is the way yeah. we see it, um, how about yeah. if that is not even there? Yeah. So I mean, I, I, I remember I remember the uh, Committee on Arms Exports Control when they published, I think it was back in, was it 2718? Well, basically, there was this line where it said, pretty much, to paraphrase, entirely but we have absolutely no idea exactly what the UK is doing on the one hand they've said this on the other hand they've said that 
we don't know what they're doing in the yeah. toiletry rooms. And Alistair Burt, when he was minister, I know it came up against a question from, um, um, oh God, I've forgotten his name, Andrew Mitchell, uh, the former International Development Secretary uh, and a key supporter in Parliament around the issues on Yemen, um, basically asking, are we a party to this conflict? Are we providing support in the Tarkin rooms? And Alistair Burt sort of seemed to say quite unequivocally, we are not providing that support. I mean, I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know either. No, no, it's, we will it's, never know. It's the rumors we hear. <laughs> we we so, don't know, but no. And but. this is not to say it's okay. It's just to say yeah. that there are yeah, things yeah. that are also yeah, yeah. as important Absolutely. beyond yeah. the odds that yeah, got yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think we at least know that there was told. some sort yeah. of device around IHL, but exactly how that was being applied was slightly confusing yeah. but no you're absolutely absolutely right anyway on that note Marwa thank you so much we've covered a lot of ground there UK uh, sort of context of the conflict in Yemen and the focus perhaps too much on sort of the Saudi the role of, of Saudi Arabia then going down to sort of the linkages between how we sort of argue that it's much broader than just arms sales it's like the security relationship itself um, then looking at sort of what the strategic peace building program is doing the local voices why local voices are really important and specifically how you're going about um, in, in implementing this theory on uh, communities uh, in, in, in Yemen, which is really, really interesting. With and then, communities in Yemen. With communities in Yemen. Did I not say that? Sorry. You said on. Oh, with like communities. With, with communities we in Yemen. See, look, language is very important. Uh, and then we ended with sort of, again, some linkages between what the Remote Warfare Programme is doing and arguing for a, a much more sort of peace-building approach towards security sector reform um, and uh, how that might link in with some of what the strategic peace-building programme is sort of advocating for in terms of creating those pockets of stability, making greater linkages between military, civilian actors, really important um, to achieve what we set out to achieve or at least what we're aspiring to achieve in many of these places. Well, Mark, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Liam. And thanks also to all our listeners for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the discussion as much as I did. And for those who want to read in more depth about the topics we covered, we put links to any research or publications that we have mentioned in the episode notes. Go and have a look at those right away. And if you want to stay up to date with the Remote Warfare Programme and Oxford Research Group's work, please subscribe to our newsletter by clicking on the button at the top of the page. Now, if you are Twitter savvy, you can follow us on Twitter and our handles are at orginfo and at remote underscore warfare. You can listen to all our previous episodes for free, what a fantastic deal, by following the link at the top of the page. We look forward to you joining us soon. Goodbye.